new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. And we are back, folks, another edition of the Michigan Recruiting Insider. And we are back uh, talking about some commitment success to start the month of July. And the question will be, can the Wolverines pick up some more momentum as they head toward the end of the month where uh, it culminates with the barbecue at the Big House, the annual barbecue at the Big House for the Amazing Blue. So a lot to recap. Of course, a lot of discussion about NIL and Michigan's approach. We will get into all of that in this latest edition of the Michigan Recruiting Insider. Joining me as they always do, the best team in the land. Starting off first with Mr. Steve Lorenz. Steve, how are you? Good, guys. Hope you guys had a good holiday weekend. Absolutely. And then, of course, Bryce Marriage. Bryce, how are you? Good. I just got done uh, this past weekend barbecuing, so you might have to come on over and check out my, you know, grill master's skills i saw steve do some stuff as well what so. was that you, that you did steve was that a pork butt was it a brisket yeah, those are two two pork butts yeah okay turned out amazing uh i stopped wrapping them when you before you t- crank up the temperature so that, i mean they were in the smoker for probably 16 17 hours i put them in the night before on friday night uh, i had some buddies over for the ufc card on saturday night and uh yeah set it up to just let them sit in there at a low temp like yeah for like 12, 13 hours, cranked it up the last few and best ones I've ever done. They turn out really well. That's, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have posted it if they didn't turn out really, you know, I'm not posting my misses out there. So, so you uh, low and slow and you, and you didn't wrap it all this time. Didn't touch, honestly, Sam didn't touch it. So I didn't even open the grill until the next morning at 10 30. I put them in 10 30 at night. Didn't even open the grill until the next morning at 10 30, just to make sure, you know, everything was like, looked, looked all right still. And, um, no, just put just put the rub on, just put a different rub on each one and uh, literally just let them sit and then just turn the temp up after that. You know, it kind of hits that stall point, uh, turn it up to 275 and, and let it finish and then let them rest for a couple hours afterwards. And it is the easiest. It almost makes it it's like I don't really feel like I accomplished anything. It's it was so easy. You literally just letting it sit and cook in there. It's like a as we said, like a man's easy bake oven is what one of my okay. buddies called it. Over the weekend, you know, so it's like I'm not going to take too much credit, but they did turn out really good, though. So okay. I was happy. Okay, yeah. See, folks, we give you full service here. We talk recruiting and we talk about grill skills, which I, you know, I did some ribs, but I overcooked them. I think I left them in the wrap a little too long, but they still tasted good. But anyway, let's get to some recruiting and start off first with the news that wasn't a surprise, but it still wound up uh, hitting fans really, really hard, hitting Michigan really, really hard. Bryce, a guy that you went down to see to start your, your spring travels, and that was Tallahassee Lincoln linebacker Raylan Wilson, decommits from Michigan and now trending elsewhere. Yeah, so before the holiday weekend, uh, Raylan Wilson, I guess let's date back to when he first committed, which was in December of 2021. It was right after Michigan's um, I think actually it was before their bowl game or semifinals bowl game with Georgia. And at the time when he committed, all three of us made it very clear that this is going to be a recruitment you can't sleep on, you can't stop worrying about because, one, he's in SEC territory. And he was a guy all three of us, I mean, especially me who saw him live, knew that this was elite talent where schools like Georgia – Florida, Alabama, other schools even, weren't going to just stop. He's not a type of kid you just stop recruiting. And so he committed. Michigan didn't have the greatest, obviously, outcome for their semifinals, you know, playoff appearance. But he stayed committed, you know. And a big reason why was George Hilo, the linebackers coach, who did a really good job in this recruitment. Um, Fast forward to the summer, though, he took three officials. He took – the one to Michigan, which was the last for Victor's weekend. So he first went to Georgia, then the following week in Florida, and then to Michigan. In the end, Michigan did actually a really good job on that official visit. His mom really enjoyed it. 
everything they could have done, they did on that official. But I think in the end, distance from home really played a factor, especially, you know, he only got up to Michigan twice, whereas Florida and Georgia, he's been there several times. It's easier. He knows several of the commits, especially in Georgia's class. And so right now, I like Georgia as the favorite to land him. I know Michigan, from what I've been hearing, they're not going to stop recruiting him. I think that's the most no-brainer decision you can ever make. But at the same time, I want to get your hopes, though, for him to rejoin the class. This is a guy, though, I thought would be a day-one starter. He had that type of potential, 6'1", 220. You watch his track film and his track videos, and you're just physically – I mean, you're just impressed with what he could do, you know, on the track but also on the football field. And he'd been a perfect fit in this defense, but Michigan did recover. They got another linebacker commit, and so – that's how you do that in recruiting. You know, you lose one and you just got to pick up the pieces and move forward. And that's what Michigan did, you know, this past uh, this past weekend. Yeah, you needed a lot of dominoes to to really sort of help with that recruitment. And we, we knew that going down to Florida and jumping Bama, jumping, jumping to Florida schools, jumping Bama, jumping Georgia, jumping Clemson, ju- jumping all those powers down in that region was going to be hard. If Michigan had picked up some other high-profile commitments, let's say you add a Dante Moore, let's say you get some some really significant momentum that way, that has a way of of sort of weaving a class together. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. That's not to say, Steve, that that would have kept him in the class, but it wasn't just going to be about effort because you can't knock George Hilo's effort. He did a hell of a job recruiting this young man. But for George, he would have decommitted like way sooner in the process. But George kept him committed as long as he did. But that ultimately was not enough to keep him in the fold. Yeah, huge loss. I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the cycle if he's knocking knocking on five-star territory. I think he's that good. I think Michigan thinks he's the best linebacker in the country. Really, obviously, Georgia must also. Like, Georgia's in on a lot of other linebackers, but Wilson is a guy, I think, of the the group. I think when I started to do a little digging on it, I think they were in on six or seven guys at linebacker. They want to take three, and Wilson was kind of one, along with uh, Troy Bowles, a kid that Michigan recruited really early on, uh, are two guys that I think had spots if they wanted them. So even as he was committed to Michigan. So, you know, Georgia was going all out with him because of that talent. Uh, they've pumped out a lot of linebackers in recent years. Kirby Smart, a defensive-minded guy. So, you know, stinks for Michigan, though. It really does. Uh, you can't it, – it's what it is, though. When, when he first committed, we said it'd be a battle uh, to, for Michigan to hold on to him. Everybody was going to be going after him. Uh, he seemed to narrow his focus to Florida and Georgia. And, uh, yeah, he would have been a year-one player yeah. almost for certain, Bryce. I think you're totally right there. I, I've been shocked. Uh, if he didn't see the field right away. So, you know, a significant loss for Michigan in that regard as linebacker, kind of a spot. I think they need a few guys. You know, I think they want they, that's one area I think they want to get a couple uh, standouts, a couple guys that maybe could come in and play a little bit earlier. So, you know, we'll have to see where they go from here uh, along with, with Bridgman, who we're about to talk about. But, uh, yeah, I can't understate how big of a loss that is for Michigan. It really stinks for them. Yeah, it does. Uh, But, you know, it's about on to the next one, right? And so the Wolverines right back to the lab, so to speak, uh, in trying to fortify their linebacker ranks. And they actually were able to attack it for two classes, a 23 and a 24. But let's start out with the 23 and the most recent addition to the Wolverines class, Mr. Samaj Bridgman, a guy that we all had uh, crystal balls in for. And it was really, at least for me, uh, the sign to get ready to put in a crystal ball was when he was on his visit and he canceled. I believe it was a visit to Georgia after that. Canceled it. And I was like, okay, you know, that's a that's a real big sign. Brian Doan eventually got on the uh, on the scent. And uh, we learned that it was going to be uh, the maize and blue for him, Bryce. Yeah, so he's a kid, uh, 6'3", 220 from the Philadelphia area. Um, a guy that Michigan evaluated not only George Hilo, but Grant Newsom um, and several of the coaches during the spring evaluation period. They really liked what they saw. He uh, quickly rose up the board for them on their linebacker um, recruiting board. 
And, you know, with like, again, going back to Raylan Wilson, one of the silver linings with that recruitment is it shows they can go into recruitment and win and land a top talent like they did with Raylan. Obviously, they didn't hold on to him, but they can beat top talent. They've shown the ability to beat top schools. And with Samaj, you know, he's a four-star linebacker prospect. Um, and he, he, you know, he did have Georgia, Alabama schools, you know, making, I guess, plays at him and looking at him pretty strongly. And he had other schools that had offered and really liked him as well. But Michigan killed it on his official visit. They absolutely killed it. He loved it going out of it. I know. I think Steve was the first to put on the crystal ball and slowly but surely everyone else kind of followed. Um, and from there, like you said, Sam, he canceled that official visit to Georgia and just reading the team leaves and made it pretty, you know, clear that Michigan was the team to beat. Again, I think he's going to be more of an inside linebacker, kind of a bigger thumper um, type of style, physical player. Um, he can play sideline to sideline. I know Michigan likes him, his ability and versatility to play multiple spots on the back end there at the linebacker core. Um, but overall, this was a pickup that was, one, at a position of need, and two, just much needed for morale. I mean, <laughs> Michigan at the time, you know, you lose Rayland, and you're thinking, well, what, the sky's falling, and then you land him, and you're like, okay, let's just take a deep breath. We got this, you know. So this was definitely a much-needed one for sure for them. Yeah, and so I don't know if you have anything to add on Bridgman there, uh, Steve, but um, they also were able to pick up a – an even higher ranked prospect in the next class, albeit, but Mason Curtis, the 2024 four-star linebacker, a top 247 guy out of Nashville, Tennessee, Innsworth High School. Uh, so that was a nice, you know, recovery, if we want to call it that, uh, to get a couple of linebacker prospects in the fold. Only thing I'd say about Bridgman is uh, you look back at his recruiting history, he was recruited or he was ranked and rated pretty high early on and was a guy that got a lot of early offers. And I think his recruitment didn't quite sustain. I think some of the bigger schools, like I know Penn State wasn't really making a strong push at him in-state or whatever. Uh, Michigan's opinion on Bridgman completely changed when they saw him in person in the spring. I think they were really, really impressed with him. And it just goes, you know, those spring evals are super, super, super important, you know, because you're seeing a guy in person. Um, not only did he measure in at his listed like his listed measurements on 24 seven are accurate, which is also important too, because we know that sometimes it doesn't always tend to be the case either. So uh, they, they do see him, see him as a big, a big thumper, but a guy that moves really well for his size too. So yeah, it was much, that was a huge need, hugely needed uh, pickup after the Raylan Wilson stuff. So uh, yeah, Mason Curtis though, in 24, you know, been a, I don't know how long it's been since Michigan just picked up a, a random commitment, you know, like a guy that he kind of committed out of nowhere. I don't think we were necessarily expecting him to drop. I know he had just been on campus, uh, but yeah, six, four also accurate measurement. Michigan got to see him live at the Ferris state. He was up at the Ferris state camp uh, in June and Michigan really liked what they saw out of him at that camp uh, kind of and targeted him. I think Ensworth is also, I believe that's a pretty good academic high school. Is that a private school? I can't remember if it is or not, but Michigan's recruited that school pretty hard for the last few cycles, um, they're going to continue to, but yeah, he's an edge uh, for them. Six legit six, four, about 200 kind of has that frame. Uh, they, they think he's an athletic freak, you know? So he's one, like I said, still kind of early in 24. So he's a guy, I think we'd probably written about a few times, right, Bryce, but not really anything super, super in depth necessarily. Uh, but now a guy will be really fun to kind of watch him develop because Michigan really, you know, you think about edge, you know, Michigan should, or at least, you know, you hope would have the in on some of the top edge prospects in the country. We had him listed as a linebacker. And when we find out they're recruiting him at edge, it's like, okay, there must be, they must really like what they see from him uh, from an athletic standpoint. Cause he's definitely gonna have to put on some weight. Uh, but yeah, Tennessee looks strong too. the state, mm -hmm. right. For 24. So that's another thing to maybe consider coming out of this commitment. I think you wrote about that. This morning, Bryce, right? Another guy out of Tennessee. And that's like one of those kind of states where you can you can pick off a few guys, I think, every once in a while and and get a nice contributor or two. So we'll see. Yeah, they beat out Tennessee, Ole Miss, Michigan State, 
those are probably Kentucky. Those are probably the biggest name schools on on Mason at this point. But feel like that's a recruitment so far removed from uh, signing day. I think you're going to see other schools try to jump in on them. Uh, it'll be a matter of holding on to him. But I like the prospects, uh, Michigan's odds of holding on to him better than I like the odds of them holding on to uh, to Raylan Wilson. Uh, but the other commitment was one we all saw coming, Frederick Moore. We've talked about him on this podcast several times, receiver out of Cardinal Ritter High School uh, in St. Louis. Uh, as he got closer to signing day, you saw some some of the schools around him really start to turn up the heat, Texas A&M. I know he was hearing from a lot down the stretch. Fans really caught up in his in his early track times, and he was quick to tell me when I went to see him and reiterated it to me uh, on, when he made his commitment was that, hey, those track times are from earlier in his career. Uh, he is faster than that. He's in, He insists between track and uh, speed training. Uh, but you watch him on the football field, and this is a guy uh, with outstanding just football speed. Part of it is technique and route running. Uh, the other is short area quickness. Uh, he brings that combination to the fold and really allows him to be a guy that gets consistent separation uh, at that level. Now, uh, you know, definitely uh, keep working on the speed, but I think he's I think he's going to be a four or five guy all day uh, is where I think he'll settle uh, for Michigan and be a be a guy who can be a a, a playmaker, a yak guy, a yards after catch guy uh, for the maize and blue. And then we'll see where things go. So let's start talking about some of the uh, some of the noteworthy visitors that made their way in. Let's talk a little bit about Collins Collins Achiampong, who I know we all put in crystal balls for, and I think everyone, even Greg Biggins, uh, put in a crystal ball to Michigan. But a subsequent visit to Miami and a lot of buzz since then from LSU as well has sort of thrown that one into question. So I'm curious where you sit, starting with you, Steve, on Collins at this point. Like weirdly think the delay might have been a, might have been a good thing mm-hmm. for Michigan. Like it's kind of an odd uh, situation. We know how Miami, actually Miami and LSU uh, both have had really strong, what, weeks? I think LSU had three, picked up three defensive line commits in the last like four days. Miami's picking up guys that people, people weren't even talking about them for. Just what an amazing job by their staff to do that. Just so amazing. Uh, but Michigan, I think, I, I think the delay, I was being sarcastic, by the way. I, Miami staff is, you know, you know what they've doing with the NIL stuff. That's what I was getting at there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, with Michigan and, and Collins, it's clear, really, I mean, we kind of know. I think Greg even alluded to it on the, a couple of our members of our board brought it to light. Uh, that's kind of what Miami's legit recruiting pitch is is the nil stuff and that's what it appears gave him some pause when it will he was all michigan uh coming out of his official visit so yeah it weirdly it weirdly went from like very very michigan to miami and like you said sam lsu still kind of involved too uh to yeah to the delay actually maybe helping michigan uh and giving them a little bit more time you know got to think like just what Michigan's done at the edge spot. They got to be hammering that home still and and telling him just be patient, you know, is when it comes to NIL or however their Michigan's kind of going about it. But, but yeah, probably a good thing on the delay. I I lowered my crystal ball confidence just because it's not totally clear what's going to happen, but, but Michigan's not out of it for sure. That's, that's, that's legit. Bryce. No, I, I definitely agree. I think, in a weird way, like Steve said, the delay actually helped. Um, you know, he took that official visit to Michigan June 10th, went extraordinarily well. I mean, out of all the prospects that took a visit that weekend, which they had several top, you know, official visitors in, he was the one kid I felt the best with. And so a couple weeks later, he takes this official visit to Miami. And next thing I know, I'm getting several text messages and things coming out of Coral Gables saying they might not leave for college. Mm-hmm. So they definitely made a great impression on him, his family. I know uh, Gregory Russo. He's the guy that they've kind of said, listen, you could be, that's kind of what we're looking at you for kind of how you fit our defense. And for him, six, seven, two, you know, 54, he's a ball of clay. 
a guy who really hasn't played the sport that much. (laughs) Um, I mean, when you hear something like that, you got to be excited. But at the same time, like Steve said, with Edge, it's not like Michigan can't sell top guys like Aiden Hutchinson and, you know, guys that fit his bill as well that produced from Michigan. So this has been a prospect that Michigan, I know, has really liked for a very long time. There's been a lot of guys at his position that they've kind of, I don't want to say not recruited as hard, but this has been someone who they've always, always been full court pressing with. So with him not committing, I think that is the best bet for Michigan if they can get him back up to campus and kind of, you know, see what happens. Because again, every time you take a official or unofficial, you're going to have that post visit glow and Miami definitely had it. And so with him all of a sudden thinking I'm going to commit July 1st, it wasn't the greatest kind of look for Michigan, but now that he's taken a step back, he's looking at other things. So I know LSU's in there. UCLA is also a factor, especially now they're joining the Big Ten, oddly enough. So that could actually, I heard, be a positive for them in this recruitment. So there's a lot of things to consider, but right now it looks like Michigan and Miami for him. Yeah, so if he had decided on July 1st, I think he would have gone to Miami. Um, you know, I made it pretty clear I've lowered my crystal ball confidence level two. Very, very intriguing prospect. One of the most intriguing that I can remember. Came over from, from Ghana prior to his freshman year, was placed there really as a basketball prospect. Uh, and so the film that you're watching, I mean, this is a guy without any game experience in over a couple of years. So you're watching freshman film. Uh, but he is so much of a – he's such a freak at 6'7", what did you say, 250. Like, you you take a flyer on that, and it seemed like uh, – because we need to shout out Dylan, Ron- Dylan Roney here. You know, Dylan Roney for, for Michigan, I mean, you, you hear a lot about uh, the, you know, the coaches and, and the job they do in recruiting. A lot of these recruitments be- become full staff efforts. And Dylan Roney, when, when, whether it was the offer or – or Collins being on campus, you know, the word I was getting was that he was spending a lot of time with Dylan and that Dylan has done a great job with him. So there's a, you know, that personal relationship connection that you look for. Uh, you know, I think he's really finding it with the staff, but especially with Dylan. And that is to get back to Steve's point. Uh, you know, if, if, if you can balance out the NIL piece with the relationships, the, talent development arm that Michigan can show evidence of over the last couple of years. If it becomes a more holistic kind of assessment or eval, then Michigan can absolutely still win this. And him delaying it, I think, gives maybe a little bit of, I don't know, light to those other factors. If it winds up being an NIL breakdown, an NIL comparison to Michigan, I mean, they won't win a bidding war with Miami. If this is an NIL bidding war, he is going elsewhere. So that's the question. Like, what is it going to boil down to? Is it going to be all of the factors? Or is it mostly going to be NIL? That's what we have to wait to see with Collins, Achi, and Pong. But uh, like I said, reason to be at least have a little bit of optimism uh, that it'll be a more holistic uh, kind of assessment because he decided to delay his decision. What about Eno Etta, guys? That's, uh, that's one that seemed to be trending Michigan's way, maybe still is, but... One that uh, I'm just a little bit hesitant to hesitant to call because he just he his is a recruitment Steve that seems to be it's been all over the place uh, the last few months publicly all over the place too right like right. not just uh, from what we're hearing behind the scenes or anything like that I mean he's been pretty open this weirdly might be a Michigan Michigan State battle for a top 100 prospect out of Texas I, I got to think that's never happened before uh, I think Stanford Alabama were kind of in the mix as well but I mean I'd, it'd be a big surprise if it wasn't Michigan or Michigan State at the end of the day last I checked I think Michigan still feels pretty good there uh, you know I, I always go back to Steve Wilfong's report coming out of his official visit to Michigan saying it was Michigan or Stanford that that Michigan State was fading um, it's kind of a you know we, we know Steve's always on top of the uh, on top of the ball and everything like that it was interesting to see Michigan state not mentioned as the other you know, favorite, but it based on his uh, actions, just uh, his activity 
what we've seen, it does seem like Michigan State's still right there. So, uh, yeah, going to be an interesting one. Will be interesting to see if it's over when it's when a verbal is made too. Uh, you know, that'll be kind of another thing to kind of keep an eye on. But last I checked, it Michigan still feels like they're in decent shape there. But yeah, this one has a potential wacky day to day type feel to it as well. So yeah, I mean, look, and there was a lot of confidence emanating from Ann Arbor about you know, and rightfully so. I mean, there is every reason to believe that. That should be another uh, crystal ball for Michigan, but just the the, the how volatile uh, his recruitment or at least public leanings have been make me just a little bit hesitant, and I don't think that they can be 100% confident that one's going to come their way. But uh, to your point, Steve, they're at least uh, still very, very, very much in the mix, and I know that's a guy that you've talked to a bit here, Bryce uh, Enoetta. Yeah, so I think when Steve's report came out about Stanford, kind of being the other main player. And then many people thought Michigan State, it didn't shock me too much because he's made it very, very, very clear that academics is very critical in his recruitment. And that shows when you have, you know, Stanford in that high regard. Um, this a guy, six, four and a half, 260, 81 inch wingspan. He's a top 60 overall player, according to 247 Sports. So he's a, a guy, you know, the guy um, that our staff of evaluators here really like. I know Michigan really likes him. Uh, Mike Elston, when he first got the job at Michigan, his first offer was to Enoetta. Mm-hmm. So that shows how much they like him as well. And this is a kid they would love in the class. I think they like his versatility. I think they like his frame. That he can bulk up. He can slim down. He's got still room to grow, too. So, overall, this is a kid they're going to fight for. But it's also one I'm kind of getting the vibes of it's going to have a lot of twists and turns. I'm not going to say it's like a Jordan Elliott. I'm not saying it's going to be anything crazy like that. But we already have seen twists and turns, and he hasn't even committed to a school yet. So, I know he's planning you know, to commit in the summer. We don't know when in the summer. It could be this month. It could be next month. But he wants to come in the summer. Right now, I still feel pretty good about Michigan and where they're sitting. Um, I know Michigan State is definitely not giving up in that recruitment. They even have several of their commits making a strong public push for him to join the class as well. So we'll see. But I like where Michigan sits right now for him still. Right. And so let's segue into the final couple. I mean, there's so many visitors, we can't cover them all in this podcast. But Kenyon Sadiq, a, I mean, a freak of an athlete, receiver, tight end, edge. I know Michigan is recruiting him as a receiver, and that's what he wants to be uh, and is perceived as. Coming in from Idaho, Steve, another Idaho prospect. Uh, this was a guy that when you look back last year, Michigan went in, into Idaho. That that maybe can start a trend a little bit for the Amazing Blue. Yeah, I remember our post-signing day pod when we told Colson Loveland how many guys they had signed in the history of the state of Idaho. I mean, it was like three or something like ever, and two of them were from like the 1800s, you know? So now all of a sudden, Idaho, uh, Kenyon Sadiq was a guy, I think, when Michigan first watched him, uh, immediately jumped to tip like top, top target. And like you said, Sam, one of the, I think one of the defining things about this recruitment is, is all the different positions that schools are like, it was five different spots. The last I knew, uh, linebacker, tight end, wide receiver, safety, trying to, yeah. And was, did I say tight end? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Either way, ton, you know, which is fascinating. I mean, that, that's a, that's, I mean, those are similar, somewhat similar positions, but still you never hear of, Schools recruiting a guy at four different spots. So it tells you what kind of talent he is. And yeah, Michigan, I think, has used the Colston Loveland signing um, in their favor, you know, to make him feel more comfortable about, you know, going to Ann Arbor. Right. And yeah. so that's one thing. And then you got Jay Harbaugh pretty much running point on this one. I think Ron Bellamy's been involved too. You know, I think that you have two of Michigan's best recruiters, yeah. uh, best relationship builders uh, from a recruiting standpoint. You know, so I think Michigan coming out of that visit has a lot going in their favor. I think the one school that's been mentioned to me the most is Iowa State. Uh, He likes the idea of playing tight end. Iowa State likes to feature their tight ends. And also the other thing was, is he he is a small town kind of guy, though. I mean, that's one thing I think 
Iowa State's really playing up in their favor mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, come be the man here, but you, you don't have to be, you know, you can still like, you know, have sort of a small, you know, aims a lot different than Ann Arbor. So uh, that being said, though, I would, I'd venture to say, I think Michigan probably ahead here right now, uh, but it is like, I, I think Iowa State probably the big, the big competition, you know, he liked, he was, Oregon was his dream school. Washington was up there too. I think, I don't, I don't know, Seattle, Eugene, I don't know if he's feeling those, those areas, uh, but you know, Michigan, like I said, has done a great job and he'd be a heck of a, a pickup for them. I think a guy probably even still underrated right now. Yeah. I think your, your small town point is the one that resonated for, for me. I know talking to another guy who was on the visit said, you know, you could see, and I think he may have even said at one point, man, Love it, but is this is this too big for for me? And that's where Colston Loveland really comes in, right? A guy who is from where you're from, same small town sort of environment in Idaho, and has made the jump and and feels like he can he can do so successfully. So getting him over that that sort of mental hurdle of of leaving that you know the the comfort. Not just of Idaho, but of of small town, you know, a small town America, I, I think is going to be a big deal. I mean, you you you're looking at the big house, the biggest state. It's not just going from a small town to college football. It's going from a small town to the biggest stadium in the country, right? So I can see how that could be a little bit intimidating. If they can get him over that, then I think they get Kenyon Sadiq, and I think Colston Loveland plays a big role in that. But what we'll do now is we will pause and we will talk a little bit about NIL, or a lot about NIL and its role uh, in, re- in how we see the recruiting landscape shifting right now and how we see Michigan fitting onto that landscape moving forward. We'll do that on the other side here on the Michigan Recruiting Insider. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. And we're back, folks. Part two of the Michigan Recruiting Insider. Steve Lorenz had to jet. So... Bryce, you and I talking about NIL, Michigan messaging, very clear on this. They are promoting transformational opportunities over transactional ones. And I think that is a nod to or sort of highlighting some of what is going on across the college recruiting landscape elsewhere, where we really see that definitely there are some institutions that are really, really using aggressive NIL approaches to their advantage, Miami being one of them. Worthy of note that I did talk to a prospect here recently in Jair Hill, Bryce, who was very complimentary of Michigan's NIL approach and said that was one of the things that resonated most from his June visit. Michigan locked in an intense battle with Illinois right now, seemingly for for Jair Hill. But uh, their approach, Bryce, right now, unquestionably, in my opinion, is one that is novel. It's one that is unique. You don't see a lot of schools coming at it in the way that Michigan is coming at it. But at the same time, it's one that as we get deeper into it, it's one that we're going to see who's right. You know, Michigan's approach to have a prove it element to their NIL pitch. You come to the school and then you earn your NIL opportunities once you get there versus the places that are very pointedly, albeit indirectly through their collectives, really putting down NIL deals as inducements for guys to come to those institutions. Well, let's start off with this. Michigan's not sitting on their hands when it comes to NIL. Guys on the team, are they're definitely making money, and some of them are making very good money. 
Now here's the other catch. You had Hunter Dickinson on, Sam, for a podcast. And he talked about NIL in Michigan and kind of their format and their approach to it. And he put out there and said, listen, there is the possibility that Michigan could lose some guys because of NIL. And I think that's where the battle is right now with Michigan football, kind of how they're looking at this. Whereas they've made it very clear to these prospects, if you come here and you perform at a high level, you will get paid. You will have all the NIL opportunities you can imagine, you know, everything you could hope for and want you're going to receive here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The problem is a lot of schools across the country are giving that before they even take a snap. Right. And so a lot of these kids too don't come from tons and this can be generational wealth for them. This can change their life. This can change their family's life. This can change a lot. And for you to ask a kid, to wait potentially, you know, that's tough on top of what if they get hurt? What if, you know, things right. happen, you, you don't know, you know? So for them first come first serve, they take what they can get and I don't blame them. But at the same time, if Michigan's going to take that approach, which is fine, that's fine. They're still, in my opinion, they're still going to sign a top 10 class. That's just my opinion. I think right now, today, I think they have that potential they can sign a top 10 class. I think Michigan's going to show on the field they are still a lead program. They have the talent. The the schedule sets up nicely for them as well. And how Michigan closed this past recruiting cycle, I think they can do the same. Now, here's the deal with that. It's going to be a lot harder because you have schools that – haven't been as big of factors in recruiting like a Michigan State and other schools that they're using NIL to their advantage and they're using it very well. So like I said, I don't know. I'm not going to bank on it that they're going to sign a top 10 class, but Michigan has that potential. They definitely have that potential to do it. It's a matter of like, well, we're going to get into a little more here, how you want to handle this, you know, in terms of you're going to need strategies to combat other programs that are using it more to their advantage, you know, whereas do you recruit a different type of player, you know, and there's a lot of things to consider there. Yeah. Uh, you said a lot. And, and so I'm going to try to unpack it one at a time. I, I think that Michigan's approach may be one of short-term pain for long-term gain. So what do I mean by that? There are schools that are using, NIL as a recruiting inducement. Uh, pay for play is against NCAA rules, right? In, in some states, it's against the law, right? So let, let's be very, very clear with what we're talking about here. That, you know, a what is akin to a signing bonus is technically not within the rules. But, I mean, the nation is built on figuring out ways to circ- circumvent rules and laws, right, in, in, in ways that keep you in alignment with said rules and laws. I mean, that's why we hire accountants, right, to figure out the loopholes in the tax code. It's, there's a tax code, right? Find out the loopholes in the tax code so I don't have to pay all of these taxes. How do you save me some money? What's my way around having to pay X, Y, Z, Right. So this is not a foreign concept. This one is being applied to recruiting right now in a very, very, uh, I want to say, prevalent way on the recruiting trail. Schools that you didn't see recruiting at the levels that they are now, why all of a sudden are they just, you know, just in a different stratosphere? Meanwhile, you, you sort of see Michigan, while it's still early in the recruiting cycle, I mean, just rarely do you see Michigan outside the top 50 in the recruit in the recruiting rankings at any point. So it would be naive to not have NIL factor into that. And then you have, then you have the perception sort of owning the message transformational over transactional. Well, what you have happening with a lot of schools, they sort of hijack your message saying, Oh, Michigan doesn't really care about NIL like that. Uh, they don't care as much about an incoming freshman having an NIL deal as we do, right? So, again, that's what another school would say. 
right? I mean, so let's hear this part from Hunter real quick. So Hunter Dickinson talking about the transfer going to Miami, getting the deal uh, that it was waiting for him when he got to South Beach. So here's Hunter. In this day and age, like, you know, there's no way a guy commits in his in in his NIL deal is like disclosed on Twitter <laughs> like an hour after. Like they didn't work right. that fast. They did not work that fast. Like it was definitely put into place before he got there. And he wasn't going around asking, you know, that that play that place in Miami, you know, like, hey, like if I commit here, do you want to do something? It was definitely put in place for him to commit and the deal was going to be the deal. I just think Michigan in that sense is so far behind because it's like you're never going to get a top 10 player again unless you're able to provide NIL for him. Like why, if I'm the number one player in the country for basketball or football, why would I come to Michigan where they're saying they have like the, the potential for you to get something when I'm at Alabama for football or if I'm at 10 Kentucky for basketball and they're like, no, you commit here. And this deal is like you can sign it right after you sign the letter for a million dollars. Like, I would never come to Michigan if that's the case. Like, they're going to lose out on so many players if they don't start stepping up to the plate. Like, so there's that that perception, as you just heard Hunter say. He said it's not like he just got there and the deal sort of manifests once he got there. They they had already arranged that for him. Again, technically, if there is a cause and effect here, hey, you sign with Miami because it is an IL deal, technically that's against the rules. But, of course, they figured out a way to work around that. They figured out a way with these collectives and these these rich donors to have them act as unofficial, indirect kind of recruiting arms that offer those kinds of opportunities. And to your point, Bryce, you know, I'm not one to get all indignant about the the concept of recruits getting paid. I know that my issue is that there are rules in place and everyone should be pl- playing by the same rules. But if the NCAA and legislators were to come to the point where they said this should be OK, I wouldn't feel like, oh, my gosh, you're just uh, making moral compromises to do this, especially when you understand the roots of amateurism. I've talked about this a ton amateurism, the ideal that we subscribe to now about, hey, you go and you work hard during your college years to better yourself and put yourself in position for professional opportunities and and contracts, foregoing the the instant money for money down the line. That was not the ideal. It was not a measure of character, the willingness to forego that monetary gain. It was an exclusionary tactic to keep out the rank and file to keep college athletics at the time amongst the affluent, amongst the rich, because you didn't have rank and file people, regular everyday Joes and Janes, or Joes at that time anyway, that could afford to not have a paycheck, right? They had to work and go to school. They couldn't make that choice. Well, if I want to play, you know, college athletics or amateur athletics, I can't have a job. I can't be pulling in a, a paycheck. A rich person could do that. Rank and file couldn't. That was one of the ways that they used to keep amateur athletics exclusive. That's the root of amateurism. It's not this ideal that we subscribe to now. So when I see that and I see it sort of held up as this thing to aspire to, I remember what it was all about at the beginning. And so I am not at all opposed to the idea that prospects should be able to take advantage of NIL too. Is it wrought with possibility for abuse? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where you have your rules makers and legislators that need to come up with some some parameters, some some guidelines to be able to exist in that space. But I don't think that it's morally repugnant to have parents of student athletes be thinking about how they can maximize the earning potential of their student athletes or prospective student athletes, especially as they enter college. Will it create issues in locker rooms? Absolutely. I imagine that NIL in its current state, NIL amongst amongst guys on a team, that it's creating issues on teams right now. That guy over there is making more than me. And, you know, he hasn't done as much as me. Right. It doesn't even have to be a class thing. It doesn't have to be a, a freshman versus senior thing. It could be guys in a position group. My stats are better than this other guy, but he has more NIL than I do. So that is something that coaches have to navigate. 
It is something that is going to create challenges in locker rooms. But the mere notion of freshmen having opportunities that guys in the program should be having, I mean, to, to me, that's preparing you for whether you're going to the pros or going off into a professional endeavor. You're going to see that. I mean, if you're going to the pros, don't rookies get signing bonuses? That's what one parent said to me. Don't rookies get signing bonuses? Yes, they do. And they've been able to navigate it. And that's something that in a college program, they're going to have to figure out. Right. And it'll be more of an issue initially. And Alan True made this point. He said, well, yeah, it'll be an issue for guys coming in the door with NIL if, they, if a freshman has an NIL deal. But by the time those guys are seniors, well, they've experienced it. They've benefited from it. They've been a part of a system where guys coming in do have those kinds of deals and they've had a chance to adjust just like they do in the pros when high priced rookies come in the door making all this money and veterans who've been around for five, six, seven years aren't getting as much money and they navigate just fine, right? So again, it can be done. It is not something that I think is a question of moral compass. And I think that's one of the places where Michigan has to own its message, to not come off as ivory tower-ish, to not come off as, as preachy because that's what other schools are trying to make it seem like. Well, Michigan, that really doesn't want to approach NIL for their freshmen the way that we do. They don't value NIL as much as we do. When you see guys on the team right now that are sort of making that money, so you know they're putting forth the effort with NIL, it's just a little bit different. So now, how do you survive in that space, understanding that you are not going to be putting down NIL deals for guys coming in? I sort of liken that to an approach that we saw from, from John Beeline. John Beeline, to take you back a bit, had this policy that was totally different from everyone else in college basketball. He would not offer a prospect before June 15th after their sophomore year, right? There was this, this gentleman's agreement amongst college coaches that you shouldn't be offering high school guys before they're heading into their junior year. Well, most coaches, 99% of them said to hell with that. If I see a freshman or a sophomore that I think is really good, I'm going to offer them. John Beeline didn't. And for a while, there was a messaging thing there where it's like, hey, man, that Michigan doesn't like you as much as we do. We offered you as a freshman. Michigan doesn't like you as much as we do. We offered you as a sophomore. Was very, very pointed in his messaging and making it clear that this is not about your talent. This is just about how we do things and making sure that you know our interest in you is sincere and legit because we've had a chance to evaluate you over time and that if we're offering you at this time, you know it's real because we have a track record of, of showing that. And then it has, it, it has everything to do with our culture as well, that we say, hey, when we offer a guy, it is because that guy has earned that offer and we aren't doing it just because everyone else is doing it. Owned his message and was very successful. Now, did it narrow the pool? Because Michigan obviously wasn't going to cheat. They were going to offer guys later. It was going to, you know, sort of make their pool of talent that they harvested from shallower, but they still did so successfully. So the question is how? The ingredients are very, very clear. They were excellent scouting. That's number one. They had excellent guys from a relationship building standpoint up and down their staff. So there was not a single guy on that John Beeline staff with Bakari Alexander, Laval Jordan, Jeff Meyer, all outstanding recruiters and relationship builders. So you didn't have a single guy that you had to carry recruiting-wise. You had excellent uh, player development, skill development, staff-wide, especially from John Beeline on down. Then you had Sandman and strength and conditioning that was really, really able to develop them physically. Those were the ingredients. And so what it meant was you didn't always have a team a recruiting class that was in the top 10, but because you were excellent at scouting, because you were excellent at talent development, because you had excellent recruiters, you got enough guys, enough really good guys to be right there on the fringe. Every now and then you'd be top five, but you would get those guys, you identified those guys that you could develop into those four or five-star caliber. And at one point, John Beeline had more guys uh, picked in the first round than anyone in the Big Ten. I mean, he was up there, right up there with your Dukes and Carolinas. So now, is it different in football? Absolutely, it's different in football. You have more players that you have to recruit. 
right? It is, it is so much more difficult to pull it down over the span of 85 scholarships as opposed to, to 13. But I offer that as a possibility. It can be done, but the ingredients, I think, are, are very, very clear. Excellent scouting, excellent relationship building up and down your staff. Like every guy has to be an excellent recruiter or relationship builder. And then development, excellent development. If you can put all those pieces together, you don't necessarily have to be in the top five in the recruiting rankings every single cycle to be successful. And I think that that is the mode or the mindset or the model that if with this transformational over transactional approach. I think that's the mode that they're in because look, make no mistake. I mean, the way that some of these schools are recruiting, I mean, you look at how Notre Dame is recruiting. It'd be interesting if Notre Dame can coach. Like, I don't know if Notre Dame can coach Bryce, uh, but they have this recruiting thing down. They have an excellent recruiting staff. And then it is my belief. I call it very, very strong speculation based on a limited sample space. But I, I know very pointedly talking to a prospect who is seriously seriously considering Notre Dame and was pointedly just like, man, the NIL opportunity at Notre Dame is very, very clear. And they were just convinced that, man, if I go there, there's going to be, or if I send my son there, there's going to be an outstanding opportunity NIL-wise at Notre Dame. So that you hear something like that, it makes you think they're being very, very aggressive with NIL on top of, on top of, having the excellent recruiters, if they can actually coach, then Notre Dame's going to be a real problem. You mentioned Michigan State. Penn State's not going anywhere, right? Ohio State's always going to be there. You see that these, these programs around you are, are really, really thriving in the current environment. How do you bridge that gap? How do you balance it? I think I just gave you the ingredients. We've seen a coach here at Michigan, albeit in a different sport, Bryce, go out there and be very, very successful against a similar circumstance. By similar, I mean you had a lot of schools in college basketball using um, extra benefits. Wasn't there an FBI case, Bryce, that kind of showed that there were a lot of schools? Hell, and last I checked, the recent national champion, Kansas just won a national championship. I'm pretty sure that their coach was caught up in that FBI investigation. So we know that there were schools that were getting down in a different way and yet Michigan was still able to sur- not just survive, but thrive in that, in that environment because they had a very, very clear approach and one that they had a staff sort of honed to recruit to. I think Michigan's going to have to do the same thing. Yeah, I, you know, for me, Sam, I love those ingredients, but I would add a little salt, just a little salt, just a little, one more quick thing of you mentioned Notre Dame, you mentioned Michigan State, um, and a couple of things is the creativity we see with their recruiting department. I, I, you know, they have Notre Dame has that pot of gold day. Not much they do, but it generates a lot of buzz. You see a lot of social media buzz. It gets the prospects excited, it gets the fans excited. You know, the coaches spend a lot of attention with that day. Michigan State, you know, they're thinking out the box with even bringing goats on the official visits for these, um, for the pictures, the photo shoots for these, uh, you know, visitors. And they all loved it from all accounts I've heard. So Michigan, I would say one other thing that could really help you talk about that gap with NIL and how they could combat it maybe even is a little more creativity in their recruiting department. I think if they do a couple more different things, that could really help as well, you know, because, again, a big thing we've had or said on these podcasts several times is there just doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz. There doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum. That's not to say they're recruiting guys that are high caliber prospects. That's not to say they're not even leading for some of these guys. But one of the things is you don't know tons about it because there's not a lot of buzz out there and there doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum. One area I think Michigan could really excel, and they always have, you know, under Jim Harbaugh and even dating back to Brady Hoke and Rich Rod, is the barbecue at the big house at the end of the month here. I know they're planning on having several, several top, top targets there. I think that's a chance they can, or opportunity they can really impress several of these kids and their parents and their coaches. So that would be one more thing I would add, just a little salt. 
Okay, because I love I love how it's tasting and everything you add in there, but a little more salt, and I think it's perfect. Yeah, it, it it's a it's gonna be I think an approach that evolves, and it could be that a lot of these schools, with how aggressive they are, they wind up between a rock and a hard place because you're beholden to more of your donors than you're accustomed to, or beholden to them on a level that you aren't accustomed to. Uh, that could be an issue. It there the locker room sort of pocket watching uh, I think is inevitable as well. You're going to have to school these guys on, on life. And what do I mean by that? I don't care what world, you know, what professional world you go into, whether it's professional athletics or the boardroom, you're going to step into an office environment where there are people that are make more than you. Right. And so how do you handle that? There are, there are going to be people that hire in, and more than you hire in at because maybe they have more experience or maybe they know someone. How do you, how do you deal with the real world or in the NFL or NBA, Major League Baseball? I mean, hey, first round picks are going to have signing bonuses that put them, uh, you know, ahead salary wise of as you heard me say earlier in the show. Some of the veterans that are already on on the staff. How do you deal with the real world? This this sort of starts to prepare them for that uh, at the college level. Now, some coaches are going to handle that. College coaches are going to handle that better than others. It's going to cause bigger issues in some locker rooms for those that are ill-prepared to deal with that kind of thing. So that there is something to be said for, you know, setting a culture that sort of rules all that out. But I, like I said, just understand that it sort of narrows the field a bit that you're recruiting from. Uh, and, and last thing I'll say on this to continue to own the message uh, because, you know, coaches are notorious for taking something you said or, or did and, and really twisting it around. You know, understand that on some level for a lot of these guys, even for the prospects that are considering NIL as a factor and not the factor, right? They, so they're looking at coaching, they're looking at development, they're looking at campus life, they're looking at academics, in no particular order, and they're looking at NIL. Even for those prospects, for a good portion of them, it does become a transactional thing, NIL, because let's assume that all those things are equal, that you you feel as good about the academics at both places or multiple places. You feel as good about the coaches at, at, at multiple places. You feel as good about the development at most places. You feel as good about your opportunity for academic achievement at all of those institutions, then you compare NIL. You know, I can think of off the top of my head, two of the top prospects on Michigan's board right now, two different positions. I won't say their names because I didn't get permission from them or their parents to sort of mention them, but they made it very, very clear that they're looking at all those things with all things being equal. They will compare NIL. And at that point, it does become transactional for them. Well, I'm getting a better NIL opportunity over here with all these other things being equal. That'll swing it for me. That's why I say, so owning the message that it's not like, you know, you are out of the NIL comparison game. You just aren't going to be in a position to, to say, hey, we're going to outbid X, Y, Z for you. There are going to be plenty of NIL opportunities and, you know, come here because you have these opportunities in addition to those other things. But but make it very, very clear that it's not a it's not a preachy thing where you're saying that anyone who's who's comparing NIL opportunities at, at multiple institutions and anyone that's looking at it like that is, is somehow disqualified from being a part of what we do. Now, I don't think for a second that that's how Michigan intends for it to be interpreted. But certainly I think there are some schools out there spinning it that way. That hey, you know, Michigan really doesn't want to be in this NIL space. Michigan really doesn't want, they aren't out there promoting NIL opportunities for in, for incoming freshmen. You know, Michigan isn't as aggressive with NIL as we are. You gotta do, I think, an excellent job of, of owning that message so it's not easily co-opted in a in a way and interpreted in a way that is used to your disadvantage. Uh any any more so than NIL is a disadvantage for you right now. So a lot to chew on. We gave you a lot to think about. And this, of course, is not our last time talking NIL. That's going to be a topic uh, probably for the foreseeable future on the Recruiting Insider podcast. But in the meantime, just 
Be sure to keep track of us over on the michiganinsider.com where you can really check out all the lace in, in the greatest in football and or basketball recruiting. We just came from the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp. We'll be getting more into that on the Basketball Insider podcast. And of course, the barbecue at the big house coming up. We're going to have a lot of previews, a lot of top targets putting their names down to come to the barbecue at the big house. So we will have more on that in the next edition of the Michigan Recruiting Insider. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.